Hello everyone and welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm glad you are here. It is a Thursday episode, which means we are learning about a state. So I wanted to learn more about the United States. I feel like there's a lot that I missed in history class about each state. You know, you go really in depth about the state you live in. Like in fourth grade, I learned a ton about Colorado, but I did not have the same, you know, obviously there's not time to do that for every state. So I'm doing that now want to learn more about each state and we're doing it in the order that they joined the union. So we are on the 28th state, which is the great state of Texas. So let's get into the episode. I hope you enjoy it and let's learn. So before we get into the historical timeline, I just want to give a vague overview of pretty much what it's like now, how many people live there, the geography, the climate, all that sort of thing. So uh, Texas became a state on December 29th, 1845, and the name Texas derives from a Caddo Indian word, which means friends or allies. And that was then incorporated into the state motto, which is friendship. I usually point out what the state motto is, but that is kind of you know, combined with the name. So yes, it is just friendship. Um, The nickname of Texas is the Lone Star State. The population is a very interesting one. This is similar to, you know, that of Florida, where the numbers are pretty different between 2020 and 2022. So in 2020, there were about 28.6 million people living in Texas. And as of 2022, it's estimated that there are almost 30 million in Texas, um, just about 50,000 shy of 30 million. So Texas was one of the states that saw a large population growth with COVID. It was uh, way looser on the COVID restrictions and things like that. So a lot of people fled their more locked down states to go live in these, you know, less restrictive states. And so that's why the population grew so much. As of right now, it is 24th in population density. So even though it has 30 million people it's still really not that dense compared to well i guess it's like averagely dense compared to the rest of the united states um it is the second most populated state but it's also the second biggest state so a lot of ranches a lot of rural area in there but there are some major major cities that um, hold a ton of people okay let's talk about the geography of texas so it is bordered by new mexico in the northwest oklahoma in the north and the east Arkansas, Louisiana, and the Gulf of Mexico are in the east, and then Mexico is in the southwest. Um, As for the kind of topography, it says the hilly southern and eastern part of the state is called the Gulf Coastal Plains. That includes the Pine Belt, where where most of Texas's commercial timber grows. The interior lowlands covers the northeast and has some of the state's biggest ranches. Then there's the Great Plains region that stretches across the north and western parts of the states or of the state. And that actually extends all the way to Canada, it says, the Great Plains. So all the states above that will also have that region. It says far west is the Basin and Range Province, um, which is Texas's only mountainous region. And it's bordered on the south by the Rio Grande, which is a river that marks the boundary between the U.S. and Mexico. So... I always pictured 
Texas is just flat, like really no trees, no hills, nothing, but there are some mountains there and there's a big uh, forested area, which is very interesting. Okay, climate. So Texas gets about 36 inches of rain. The national average is 38, so just slightly lower than average. Uh, it only gets two inches of snow. So again, these Southern states are very good if you don't like the winter. It has a lot of sunny days. It has 30 more sunny days than average in the US at 235. Now here's where it gets a little bit less comfortable. The summer high is about 94. The humidity gets to almost 70% uh, on average in the summer. And then the winter low is a manageable 36. But because the summer's so hot and it's not very comfortable in the summer, the comfort index settles in at about 7.2. So just slightly more comfortable than the average state. As predicted, because of these summer highs and winter lows, July and August are the worst times to go, and then April, October, and March are the best. So they don't even say winter is that great because some, some parts get pretty cold in winter, uh, but spring and fall are the best times to go to Texas. Okay, now that we have the basics out of the way, let's get into a little bit of the timeline of Texas. So this is from the story of Texas. It's the same uh, website that I found the state symbols. It's a very good website if you want to learn anything about Texas. So this timeline starts in 1820. So from 1820 to 1824, Mexico wins independence from Spain and Austin founds a new colony. So in search of new opportunities in the unsettled territory of Tejas with T-E-J-A-S, this man named Moses Austin hoped to bring 300 families to the Mexican province in 1820. With the help of Baron de Bastrop, uh, Austin received approval from the Spanish governor to bring settlers into Tejas. Moses Austin died in 1821, however, and his son, Stephen F. Austin, inherited the land grant for the 300 families. Austin settled the land near the Brazos in Colorado in 1824. So that is why there is Austin, Texas. All right, in 1824, Mexico encourages foreign settlement of Texas. Uh, it established rules for settling colonies in 1824. It says that during this time, they also joined the Coahuila and Texas. They also joined Coahuila and Texas, uh, forming a unified Mexican state, which was called Coahuila y Tejas. Um, with the passage of the Coahuila-Texas colonization law, Mexico encouraged foreign settlers to buy land in the territory with a $30 down payment without the requirement of paying taxes for 10 years after that. So they pretty much waived uh, property taxes in order to encourage this settlement. 1828 is when it started getting sketchy with some conflict. So settlers were not ready to embrace their new Mexican identity upon moving into the country. It says largely they didn't see themselves as Mexican nationals and in fact referred to themselves as Texians. Additionally, many of Austin's settlers came from the American South who brought enslaved African-Americans with them despite Mexico's laws prohibiting slavery. Because of the lack of allegiance to the nation, Mexican officials feared they would lose control of the state and they began encouraging more migration from Mexicans into the area. So they were realizing that people were starting to come into the state but like really had no identity with where they were coming into. They did not want to really assimilate in and so it it did cause a lot of problems. In 1830, Mexico banned U.S. immigration. 
Because they feared the possibility of losing control of Texas, Mexico banned further immigration from the U.S. on April 6, 1830. They encouraged immigration from Mexico and Europe. Uh, Europe. They placed more restrictions on slavery, increased their military presence, and all of that uh, angered the Texans who were already there, and they started pushing for statehood and self-rule. Okay, 1833, Santa Ana becomes president of Mexico. So General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana led a successful revolt against President Bustamante. Texans were initially okay with this development because of Santa Ana's support for the Constitution of 1824, which was very similar to the U.S. Constitution. However, Santa Ana nullified the 1824 Constitution in favor of a more centralized government and was no longer supportive of Texas self-rule. So it seems like the people of Texas at this point, like politically, were aligning more with the U.S. and wanted statehood more because a lot of them had immigrated from the U.S. And um, this guy, they were hopeful at first, but he kind of turned on what they thought that he would do. So very interesting stuff there. 1833 to 1834, Texas respond to Santa Ana and Stephen F. Austin is imprisoned. So, at the, at the convention of 1833, there were 56 delegates that drafted a resolution that requested to Mexico that they roll back their changes in Mexican law that took place in 1830. Not all of them, but many of the, um, many of the Mexican law changes in 1830. Texas wanted, or Texans wanted Mexico to allow immigration from the U.S., provide more protection from native peoples, exempt Texas from anti-slavery laws, improve the mail service, and separate Texas from Coahuila. Stephen F. Austin, along with Dr. James B. Miller, presented the proposals to Santa Ana, and he was imprisoned in Mexico City on suspicion of inciting insurrection. Uh, eventually, the Mexican government repealed the law of 1830, but would not grant statehood to Texas, uh, amidst the conflict, thousands upon thousands of Americans were immigrating to Texas. Okay, very, very interesting stuff about the arrested for inciting insurrection. Okay, the Texas Revolution then begins in 1835. This is where the come and take it catchphrase is very popular. Tensions grew between Texas and Mexico. Texans, with a growing influx of American settlers, pushed for separate statehood, resulting in many minor skirmishes with Mexico. The first big battle of the revolution was um, when Texans at Gonzales refused to return a small cannon lent to them by the Mexican authorities. On October 2nd, Colonel John H. Moore and his company famously rolled out a cannon under a flag that read, Come and Take It. The short fight that resulted sparked the beginning of the revolution. Mexicans retreated, but the battle had just begun. So, this is why the come and take it flag has a cannon, because of this one cannon that the Mexican authorities lent to Texas, you know, that they would not give back, essentially. Very interesting. I did not know that that's where this came from. Okay, 1836, Texas declares independence. So, on March 1st, 59 delegates held the convention of 1836 at Washington on the Brazos. There, they drafted the Texas Declaration of Independence and adopted it on March 2nd. Delegates drafted the Texas Constitution and outlined their plan for the new republic. This took place only a month after Santa Ana entered Texas with his army of 6,000 men. Mexico's army vastly outnumbered the Texas rebels. 
So, Texas has, like, a full revolutionary war of their own. Like, they're making a new full republic of just Texas. That's why the culture of Texas is, like, basically, we're still our own country. You know, everyone jokes that, like, Texas wants to be their own country. That's because at one point they technically were. Okay, March 6th of 1836 is the fall of the Alamo evacuation and executions. So it says, merely declaring independence was a long way from winning. That's like for the U.S. too. We declared independence, but then it was, you know, we had to fight an entire war. And then at the end of the war, we were actually a country. Under the command of William B. Travis and James Bowie, Texas rebels fought a fierce battle against the Mexican army. Oh, sorry, I missed a very key sentence. On March 6, 1836, Santa Ana led an attack on the Alamo. Casualties were high on both sides, but Santa Ana's army ultimately triumphed. The defenders of the Alamo were killed in the attack, including famed frontiersman and former U.S. Congressman David Crockett. Those who did survive were captured and executed by Santa Ana's troops. News of the defeat spread to Gonzalez, where Sam Houston had formed an army. Feeling unprepared for the advancing army, Houston ordered Gonzalez to be evacuated and burned. The month-long fight where evacuees headed east with news of Santa Ana's advance is known as the Runaway Scrape. In Goliad, uh, Colonel James Fannin had been ordered to abandon his position to join Texas forces with General Houston. However, he remained at the fort. They fought the Mexican army at the Battle of Toledo, but faced the same fate as the soldiers of the Alamo. They were defeated, and the Santa Ana... Uh, gave the order to have Fannin captured and executed. So this is definitely a large setback in the Texas uh, Revolution. Okay, um, April 1st, 1836 was the Battle of San Jacinto. Jacinto. Texas wins independence also in this year. So, independence seemed out of reach after the Alamo and Goliad. General Houston drew criticism for not having attacked Santa Ana's advancing army. Uh, Houston had turned west, received word that Santa Ana's army was encamped on the west side of the Buffalo Bayou uh, and was inside the present-day city limits of Houston. At 3.30 on April 21st, outnumbered and facing impossible odds, Houston ordered the attack on the Mexican army. With shouts of, remember the Alamo and remember Goliad, the ragtag militia descended upon the Mexican army. It is widely believed Santa Ana and his soldiers were indulging in an afternoon siesta and therefore were not ready to face the attack, which lasted approximately 18 minutes. Nine Texans were killed and 630 Mexicans lost their lives. Santa Ana was captured after the battle and so began the Republic of Texas. That is how they won their independence, they think, because the other army was indulging in a siesta. Crazy. It's crazy, again, how history, like, unfolds. Where, you know, if they hadn't had a siesta that day, maybe Texas would never be a thing and Texas would still be part of Mexico. You know, that is a very real possibility that they could have lost the War of Independence if it had not been for this battle. On September 1st, 1836, uh, the citizens of the New Republic of Texas elected Sam Houston as their first president, Maribo, or Maribo B. Lamar as vice president. Houston appointed Stephen F. Austin to be secretary of state, and then Austin died in office uh, on December 27th, 1836, so he was only in office for about three months. Okay, the uh, capital of... Texas became Austin in 1839. 
let's see. Um, they chose what was the village of Waterloo and changed the name to Austin to honor the legacy of Stephen F. Austin. Okay. Um, in 1839, Texas adopted the Lone Star flag. So we will also kind of go over that in the flag history in the symbols section. Okay, then in 1846, Texas is annexed to the U.S. They were a country for almost 10 years after winning their independence uh, from Mexico. Also in 1846 was the beginning of the U.S.-Mexican War. It says that the annexation of Texas bolstered westward expansion of the U.S. Settlers moved to Texas in droves. Polk uh, defined the border between Texas and Mexico at the Rio Grande, but Mexico did not agree with that border. After there were, you know, after diplomatic solutions had failed, Polk ordered Zachary Taylor to position troops along the north bank of the Rio Grande to protect the Texas boundary. The Mexican government then saw that as an invasion and thus it was an act of war and so the battle of palo alto in brownsville occurred on may 8 1846 which which was the first major battle of the u.s mexican war war was officially declared by congress on may 13th of 1846. okay um that war ended on 18 on february 2nd 1848 with the treaty of guadalupe hidalgo and um Let's see. The treaty established boundaries between the U.S. and Mexico, with Mexico officially recognizing Texas as part of the U.S. Additionally, the treaty included the acquisition of Mexico's northern territory, which included California, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona, as well as parts of Wyoming and Colorado, for $15 million. Uh, the United States added more than 25% of its present-day size, and Mexico lost over half of its land as a result of this treaty. So I actually thought that all of that was part of the Louisiana Purchase, but it is not. So the Louisiana Purchase only went about, you know, to those countries I, or to those states that I mentioned. The rest of it was owned by Mexico until this treaty in 1848. In 1853, the first railroad in Texas was established. In 1854, the first telegraph office opened. Um, in 1860, Texas joined the Confederacy, and then the Civil War began from 1861 to 1865. So, uh, Texas was part of the southernmost states that uh, succeeded from the Union. Okay, Juneteenth happened in Texas, and Juneteenth is a holiday celebrated because of, you know, Texas history. So, on June 19, 1865, federal authority was established in Texas when General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston. Granger proclaimed the end of slavery for 250,000 African Americans as well as the Confederacy. Juneteenth celebrated that Declaration of Emancipation and it was declared an official holiday in the state of Texas in 1980. So this just became a federal holiday under Trump, but it was celebrated in Texas already uh, since the 80s. The first African-American was elected to Texas legislature in 1869. And then 1873, Buffalo soldiers first posted in Texas. So black troops in the U.S. Army were stationed throughout Texas, the Southwest, and the Great Plains. They were given the name Buffalo Soldiers by Native Americans. Four regiments served in Texas, the 9th and 10th Cavalry, and the 24th and 25th Infantry. The Buffalo Soldiers participated in many frontier campaigns and were responsible for a variety of military tasks, including building roads and escorting mail parties through the frontier. So that is when they first started their duties in 1873. 
The present state constitution was adopted in 1876, and then in 1882 is when they point out, like, it started the early days of women's equality. So this says, the fight for women's equality began long before they won the right to vote in 1919. In, eight, in the 1880s, Jenny Bland Beauchamp uh, led the formation of the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Although the group's primary focus was battling the ills of alcohol abuse, they pushed the Texas legislature for many social reforms, including women's suffrage. The WCTU members were the foundation of the women's suffrage organizations that began to form in the next decade. A new state capital was completed uh, in 1888, and then the Texas Railroad Commission was established in 1891. The Texas Equal Rights Association was formed in 1893, so this was the first statewide women's suffrage organization. It was organized by a woman named Rebecca Henry Hayes of Galveston in 1893. It says the TERA advocated for equal voting and political rights for women, including the right to hold office and to serve on juries. Um, 1894 was when oil was first discovered in Corsicana. Oil was accidentally discovered by the American Well Prospecting Company on a water prospecting trip in Corsicana. The discovery generated interest in prospecting the area, and in 1901, a gusher drilled at, the, a gusher drilled at Spindletop near Beaumont made Texas an oil power. So it was kind of an accidental find that Texas is able to produce oil. Okay, 1910, the first military air flight takes place in San Antonio, and then in 1911, 20,000 U.S. troops were sent to the Mexican border. So um, it says, fearing the resurgence of Mexican nationalism spurred on by the Mexican Revolution, President Taft stationed 20,000 U.S. troops to the Mexican border for national security purposes. The Mexican Revolution raged between 1910 and 1919, so nothing there was no actual fighting i don't think with the u.s but just because they had their whole revolution meant the u.s uh, kind of had to be on high alert okay prohibition goes into effect in 1919 um so there were two groups so the wets and the dries those opposed to and for prohibition they battled over the issue in the texas legislature for decades it gained momentum nationally in part due to the efforts of senator morris shepherd of Texas, but by the mid-20s it became unpopular because the uh, anti-prohibitionists took control of the Texas legislature and prohibition was ended in 1933. So Texas really led the way in prohibition, um, you know, in the national effort for prohibition. Ma Ferguson uh, became the first woman governor elected in Texas in 1924, and then John Nance Gardner was elected the first U.S. vice president from Texas in 1932. 1936, Telex, uh, Texas celebrated its uh, centennial with statewide festivities says the U.S. Uh, issued commemorative three-cent stamps and half-dollars to observe the anniversary. The Centennial Exposition was held in Dallas on the state fairgrounds and opened on June 6, 1936. It ran until November of that year. Over six million people attended the Centennial celebrations. Okay, 1943 was the Beaumont Riot. Um, it says it was a direct result of the war. Beaumont's population boomed as people moved there to take jobs in the shipyards and war plants. The rapid increase of population forced integration due to the sheer lack of facilities in the town. In June 1943, overcrowding, 
Ku Klux Klan activity and Juneteenth plans combined with an explosive incident. An African-American man was accused of assaulting an 18-year-old white woman. The suspect was shot and killed by police for allegedly resisting arrest. A second sexual assault was reported on June 15th. The accuser was unable to identify her attacker, but still a riot erupted that evening. The mayor of Beaumont called in the Texas National Guard and the city remained under martial law for five days. Beaumont was one of many cities in the U.S., including Detroit, New York, Mobile, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Indianapolis, where intense race riots occurred during World War II. I knew riots happened, but I thought that they were later. I was not aware fully that they were during World War II. But it sounds like a terrible time. Um, 1950s, Sweat v. Painter um, was a court case that happened, which made the UT Law School integrated. So African-American student Heman Marion Sweat applied for admission to the University of Texas School of Law and was rejected on the grounds that integrated education was prohibited. Sweat, with the help of civil rights activists, sued the state, and eventually the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of Sweat and ordered the end of segregation end of segregated professional schools. This case was influential later in the monumental ruling of Board, Brown v. Board of Education, which desegregated all public schools. So this was like the precedent that was then set, and it was for professional schools, like grad schools basically, and then it flowed down to Brown v. Board of Education for public schools. In 1950, a woman named Babe well, her nickname was Babe uh, Didrikson, was named Woman Athlete of the Half Century, which is like an interesting title, um, by AP. So legendary Texas athlete Mildred Ella Dick, uh, Didrikson Zaharias co-founded the Ladies Professional Golf Association and won 82 tournaments at the amateur and professional levels. Um, she came to golf after a record-setting athletic career in other sports. She was a 1932 Olympic uh, gold medal winner in the javelin and hurdles and an all-american basketball player in 1950 the associated press named didrickson woman athlete of the half century okay in 1954 is that brown v board of education which ended segregation in all public schools in 1962 the manned spacecraft center opens in houston texas and in 1963 president jf K. John F. Kennedy is assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Um, 1967, Barbara Jordan was elected to the Texas Senate. So she was the first African-American to serve in the Texas legislature since 1883. Um, it says she became the first African-American woman from a southern state to be elected to the U.S. Congress, and she was elected to Congress um, that next year. And it said, noted for her leadership during the Watergate scandal, she retired from politics in 1979 due to her battle with multiple sclerosis. She taught at the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin until her death in 1996. So very influential in Texas. George H.W. Bush was elected president of the U.S. in 1988. He was from Texas. Ann Richards was elected as the 45th governor of Texas in 1991. And then 1993, Kay Bailey Hutchinson, from, which, who was the first woman from Texas elected to the U.S. Senate. That was in 1993. And then from 1994 to 2008, George W. Bush was elected the 46th governor of Texas. And then in 2000, he was president of the U.S. Um, and he, again, was a Texan. So 
that is where this timeline ends. That is the history of Texas. So let's get into some of the other categories. Okay, it's time to talk about the famous people from Texas. So I pulled, there's a lot of famous people from Texas, but I pulled the ones that really jumped out at me from the list. So here we go, I'm just gonna fire them off. Meatloaf, Woody Harrelson, Vanilla Ice, Patrick Swayze, Michael Dell, who runs the company Dell. So I didn't actually know him other than his last name is Dell, but yes, he he created Dell. Um, Michael Strahan, Debbie Reynolds, Joan Crawford, Lyndon B. Johnson, Steve Martin, and Matthew McConaughey are all famously from Texas, especially Matthew McConaughey. I feel like he is the local hero. He's extremely into <laughs> Texas and Texas culture. I think he at one point was going to run for like the governor of Austin. I don't know if that's still happening, but that would be kind of interesting to see um, if he was going to do that. So very, very interesting. Okay, let's get into some state symbols. This is one of my favorite parts of this. And I'm going to go over the flag because I don't do this for everyone because I feel like sometimes it's just a seal and there's just a lot going on. But with Texas, it's just red, white, blue, and one star. So I kind of want to go over it and it gives a good explanation. So this says, also, this is from the website, thestoryoftexas.com, which again, I will link all these in the description below. Okay, it says, instantly recognizable, the Lone Star flag was originally designed by the Texas Constitutional Convention Delegate, Dr. Charles Bellinger Stewart, and was adopted by the Congress of the Republic of Texas in 1839. Austin, Austin artist Peter Cragg was paid a fee of $10, which is about $200 today, to make an architectural rendering of Stewart's original freehand flag design. Like the United States flag, the red, white, and blue colors in the Lone Star flag stand for courage, purity, and liberty, and, oh, courage, purity, and liberty, and loyalty. So it was adopted, yeah, in 1839, and it pretty much has all the same stuff as the U.S. flag, which I thought was kind of interesting. Okay, so the flower, the state flower of Texas is the blue bonnet. This edged out suggestions for the cotton bowl and the prickly pear cactus, but uh, because the blue bonnet is native and it was named the state flower in 1901. It says that the debate went on for years um, as to which species of blue bonnet was the most beautiful and appropriate to represent the Lone Star State in 1971, which is pretty recent, I feel like. The legislature uh, issued a concurrent resolution that cleared up the matter. It says, quote, resolved that the lupinus texensis and any other variety of blue bonnet not heretofore recorded be recognized along with the lupinus subcarnosis as the official state flower of the state of Texas. So it says, its appearance from late March through early April signals to Texans that spring is here and that the long hot summer is just around the corner. Since the 1930s, this beloved symbol of springtime has been planted along Texas highways, and although it's not illegal to pick blue bonnet, it is illegal for to trespass on private property to collect one or to take your annual Texas springtime snapshot. So you cannot go on someone else's land to do anything with the blue bonnets, but you can pick one. All right, the, an, or the state large mammal is the Texas longhorn. This is no surprise because I'm pretty sure UT, is it University, University of Texas, I wanna say? Someone has the Longhorns and I'm pretty sure it's University of Texas. 
Uh, it says this is a hybrid of Spanish and English cattle and is known for its extremely long horns, tough hooves, and general hardiness. It became a symbol of the Texas cattle drives in the 1860s and 70s. After the end of the open range, longhorns were almost bred out of existence, but were saved by breeders in the 1920s for exhibit in the Texas state parks. Soon after, ranchers discovered the tough and well-adapted cattle, and they have been a mainstay of Texas ranching operations ever since. The longhorn became the large mammal symbol of Texas in 1995. Uh, other state, other official mammal state symbols, um, other officials, mammal state symbols. I don't know if these are, this must be Texas, uh, is the armadillo is a state mammal designated in 1927, and then the Mexican free-tailed bat was also adopted in 1995. I wasn't sure if they were just telling me other mammals, like not related to Texas, or if it was a Texas mammal. So anyway, those are Texas mammals. The state sport is the rodeo. The Texas rodeo has its roots in the Spanish cattle culture of the 1700s. It says, as the cattle industry grew and flourished, uh, the American uh, Mexican vaqueros and their successors, the American cowboys, began to stage competitions to test their riding and roping skills. By the late 1800s, rodeos were commonplace in Texas, especially at 4th of July festivities. Wild West shows, such as those staged by Buffalo Bill, popularized the sport around the country. It became formally organized under a permanent governing body in 1936. So like official rodeos became a thing in 1936. Many Texas cowboys and cowgirls remain dominant forces in the sport today. So yes, not really a surprise there that uh, Texas is big in the rodeo scene. The state dish is the chili, chili con carne, uh, which is basically chili with meat. It's a trail stew that cowboys made with dried beef and dried chilies. Today, chili con carne is usually made with fresh chuck roast or ground beef with a mix of chilies. Recipes are often family traditions and closely guarded secrets. The chili may be served with garnishes such as cilantro, green onions, or cheese, along with warm tortillas. Chili con carne was designed or was designated the state dish in 1977, and today chili cook-offs are a state pastime. Debates rage about the most authentic way to prepare chili con carne, but one rule is absolute: no beans. That's funny because we, like, I always like my chili with beans, but ever since I married. My husband, he does not like beans in his chili, so we never have chili with beans. And turns out he's like doing it more authentically. So I'm gonna try to actually find a good recipe for chili con, con carne and make it and try to make it as authentic as possible. Obviously, if there's debate about how to prepare it, I might <laughs> make it wrong, but um, I am gonna try to find a recipe to make because no beans will be a hit with my husband. Okay, the state insect is a monarch butterfly. There are, uh, Texas is home to more butterfly species than any other state. It has at least 400 butterfly species. And the monarch was designated the state insect in 1995. Um, it says, at times the butterflies fill the Texas sky and gather on the trees by the hundreds or thousands. A while, as wild habitat becomes scarcer, many Texans plant butterfly gardens to attract and provide shelter for the beautiful insects, which is so nice. Okay, um, the state reptile is the horned lizard. A lot of Texans or most Texans call this the horny toad. It's actually just a horned lizard. It's It was named the state reptile in 1993. There, It's a small little lizard looking thing with 
these spines all over it. It says they're renowned for their tough guy appearance and startling defense strategies, which includes squirting blood from their eyes and puffing up their bodies to twice the normal size. It says once commonplace in every part of the state except for East Texas piney woods, horned lizards are now a threatened species due to habitat loss, overcollection as pets and curios, and the invasion of non-native fire ants from South America. So, you gotta protect those horned lizards. Okay, the state tree is the pecan tree or pecan tree. Before he died in 1906, former Governor James Stephen Hogg requested that a pecan tree mark his grave. As a result, a native tree rose in popularity and it was declared the state tree in 1919. Widespread in the wild and popular as a yard tree, the pecan is native to Texas and produces the state's only commercially grown nut. Millions of pounds of the soft-shelled sweet meat nuts are harvested annually for its use in pies, candies, and other treats. I go back and forth between saying pecan and pecan, but I think I mostly say pecan. But I do say pecan pie. I do not know. I think I think since like Colorado doesn't have many of those, I have never like really been around them that much. I have no opinion on whether it's pecan or pecan. So my computer keeps dinging. Um, okay, let me turn that off. <laughs> uh, okay, so then the prickly pear is the state, hold on, my notes just, okay, the state plant is the prickly pear cactus. More than 100 species of the abundant wild cactus grow in Texas, the most of any state. It says it's multi, you know, it's used for many purposes, and it became the state plant in 1995. So ranchers use it and they burn the spines from the pads and use them for cattle feed. It says grilled, boiled, and chopped nopalitos are used in Tex-Mex cuisine. The juicy red prickly pear fruits are often made into jams, jellies, pies, and wine. Since it's a native cactus and can tolerate drought, prickly pear cacti are regular features of Texas xeroscaping. Okay, and that is all we have for the state symbols, but then there are a lot of attractions also that uh, are recommended or like on the TripAdvisor websites about things that you should really try to see if you're in Texas. Now, Texas is huge and so it's very spread out. So some of these may not be, like you're not gonna be able to do all these on one trip basically. So just take that with a grain of salt. But here are the things that our top attractions in Texas. One is the Big Bend Nash Big Bend National Park. Sounded like I was saying Big Bend like in London, but no, it's Big Bend National Park. Very, very cool national park. Lots of good nature if you like that. Then of course there's the Alamo. There's the San Antonio Riverwalk, the Guadalupe Mountains National Park. Again, another national park if you want to want to be outside and in nature. Uh, Space Center Houston is there, which I would highly recommend. I really enjoy it there. Um, the Houston Zoo is there. The Palo Duro Canyon State Park, again, nature. The Perro Museum of Nature and Science looks very, very cool and is very highly re reviewed. The Padre Island National Seashore. So this is like outdoor, but not so nature-y, if you say. I don't know. It's like a, a beach. Um, the Barton Springs Municipal Pool, which is really, it's like this nat, well, no, wait, I think I'm thinking the wrong one. It's just like this really, really cool, 
um, outdoor pool. Let me just make sure that I'm not thinking of the wrong one because there's a lot of these like natural kind of like springs and I want to make sure that that's not it. Um, okay, yeah, I think it is like a spring outside because this says um, within Zilker Park's 358 acres lies one of the crown jewels of Austin, Barton Springs Pool. The pool itself measures three acres in size and is fed from underground springs with an average temperature of 68 to 70 degrees, ideal for year-round swimming. Over the years, Barton Springs has drawn people from all walks of life. Okay, blah, 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 blah. It serves as a home to endangered Barton Springs salamander and is listed as a federally protected habitat. So, okay, it is one of the, like, outdoor ones that is fueled by springs so very very cool there's also the natural bridge caverns which is like another very nature heavy attraction and then the sixth floor museum at dealey plaza i went to this and it's it hosts a um, jfk museum so it like walks through all about his death and it was actually very very interesting it like explains some of the conspiracy theories but it explains what they think happened so um and that is actually where the man who shot JFK was when he shot him. So that's why it's significant that it's on the sixth floor of that plaza. So, um, yes, that is the history and all the info that you needed to know about Texas. I'm sure I missed something. So if I did, uh, go over to my Instagram. First, follow me, a millennial learns on Instagram, but then DM me about any of the you know, Texas fun facts that you know, and I will maybe do a follow-up and cover it. The other thing that I was thinking is I might start putting like a, like a question box or like a response box on my Instagram page to say like, hey, I'm doing an episode on Texas, anything you want me to specifically cover um, so that I can kind of get real-time feedback and include this stuff in the episodes that you guys want to hear. So um, yeah, that is all for today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening and I will see you on Monday for another episode. Bye everyone.